chapter 19, if you want to turn there. It will be up here behind me, but, but I want to remind you, since it's been a couple of weeks, I want to remind you where we've been. We have been following Paul on this missionary journey, and where we left off, he was, ta- he was in Athens. And he's in Athens and, and, and telling them about, if you remember, the God that they worship in ignorance. He, he pointed to this, this uh, the unknown God statue or, or plate and said, I, 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 I proclaim to you the God you worship in ignorance. And I said, when we studied that a couple of weeks ago, I said, that describes most of America. Frankly, they worship in ig- ignorance. There was recently a, a, a survey that came out that said that about 80% of Americans believe in God. But if that's true, why aren't our churches full? If 80% of America believes in God, why do we have empty chairs? Why does every church have empty chairs? They worship in ignorance. They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the God we know, or they'd be here. They worship in ignorance because, they, they, frankly, I, I, I dare say they don't know God and they don't want to know God. Because once they know God and, he, and know that He has a call on their life, well, then things have to change. And so I think they worship in ignorance on purpose. And we're going, to cons- we're going to see that, that that continues, that theme continues as we get into to Acts chapter 19. We continue to see what, what the book of Acts has told us all along, and that is that there is the believer and there is everyone else. There is the, the true believer and there are those who play at it, those who worship in ignorance. And what we're going to see today, those that syncretize their faith they just add Jesus into what they're already doing. And we're going to see some of that today. So let's read Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And again, it is, it is up here behind me. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out to them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of Lord Je- the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. So let's first talk context of this. In the context, we we see that Paul has made it from Athens to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and, and it had, at that time, one of the seven wonders of the world that had the temple to Diana there. The temple to Diana, or Artemis, is, was in Ephesus. And this was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was huge. Now, Diana is the goddess of fertility. And according to Greek mythology, she's the sister of Apollo, the god Apollo. 
There's even, it, it, as you read some of the historical writings around the temple to Diana and such, you see that they actually kind of connect her with the Amazon women, you know, like Wonder Woman. The, 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 the beautiful warriors of the gods, the Amazon women, that, uh, somehow Diana is connected to them. So that's where, uh, that, that's Ephesus in a nutshell. And by about 50, by the late 50s AD, it becomes the, the center of Christianity to a great degree. And that's because of what we're reading about right here, Paul being there. Paul teaching them, Paul planning a church there, the church of the Ephesians that we, that we have a letter from. And in fact, there's even a, a story in the Catholic Church about the, uh, what, what's called the seven sleepers. There were these seven Catholic priests or, or, or uh, pastors uh, that, were, that were set upon by the Roman government. They were persecuted by the Roman government. And so they went to some of the caves that were surrounding Ephesus and slept for three centuries. They outlived the Roman Empire by sleeping through it and then came alive and continued their missionary journey. So that those seven are, uh, the seven sleepers are Catholic saints in the Catholic Church. So, so Ephesus becomes this center of Christianity because of what Paul does right here. Now, at the beginning of chapter 19, in this context, Paul finds some of those who say they're disciples of Jesus. But he asks, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they say, what's that? What or who is that? I don't, we don't understand. So they're worshiping Jesus in ignorance. They're saying they know Jesus, but what they, what they do is know about Jesus. They don't know him or they would know the Holy Spirit. So Paul corrects their theology and they're, they're, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they're baptized. So, again, we have this theme of the true believer versus the, the pretenders all the way through chapter 19. And then where we pick up, we see the difference. And, and we start with, with verse 11 telling us that there, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now, that's kind of an understatement, because I want you to... to Put this in. Think this through. These are, these are sweatbands or, or sweatcloths, uh, aprons, things that Paul used in his tent making. And he would wipe his brow with them, and they would pick those up and take them to the, to the sick, and they would be healed. These, these are extraordinary miracles. This is something completely out of the ordinary, so extraordinary is the perfect word for it. They're being healed this way. Now, we think that's kind of weird, right? This is, this is not in our culture, but it actually is. Relic worship is actually in our culture. Think about the, the cult that surrounds the, the, the Shroud of Turin or those that worship the, the bones of the disciples or, or the pieces of wood that are supposed to be from the cross of Christ. We have these cults that surround relic worship today. And in fact, today... In some cultures, in some places in the world, they still do this. They bring pieces of cloth, and the pastor or priest blesses them, and then they take them home to the, uh, to the sick in order to be for, uh, hoping that it will heal the sick. Now, it's not, it's not completely outside the realm of usual, because 
something like this kind of happened with Jesus, didn't it? You remember the woman who had bled for years, touched the hem of Jesus' cloak, and was healed. So it's not completely out of the Gospels, but it's not something we expect today, and it's not really a part of Christianity today. I think that's why it said it's extraordinary right here. We're not supposed to expect this kind of thing. These were extraordinary miracles for an extraordinary time. That's not to say that God doesn't use new ways to reach new people. And, the, and he still does amazing things, extraordinary things to reach us. But we don't expect, you're not going to see a pile of cloths up here <laughs> that I bless and that you take home. That's not going to be a part of our, our usual service. What I want you to notice, really, is that the sweat of a true believer, Paul, has more power than the name of Jesus in the non-believer's mouth. Do you see that? These, these exorcists, they're, they're claiming the name of Jesus, and it has no power. The sweat of Paul's brow has more power than the name of Jesus in the non-believer's mouth. So, so let's talk about the Jewish exorcists for a minute. Even the evil spirits don't listen to these guys. These guys are actually, they're, historically, they're charlatans. These guys charged money in order to do some incantation over your house to chase out evil spirits. That's what these guys did. They, they were itinerant, uh, as it says. They traveled around and they did this. And, and these guys are complete charlatans. We actually have writings of these guys. And, and they, they kind of intermix Greek gods and Greek mythology with the name of God, the name of Jesus, the name of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and so they're Jewish at some level, but they're also bringing in all this weird mysticism stuff. And this is what you call syncretism. They're not believers in Christ. Syncretism is just adding Christ to your life. We have, it, we have a lot of it in, in our world today still. Maybe it's Jesus plus works. Maybe it's Jesus plus rituals. Maybe it's Jesus plus, you see the problem? Jesus plus anything is a problem. Because Jesus is enough. He's always been enough. And so syncretism is this idea of just adding Jesus to what you already have, like these guys do. They, they add the name of Jesus to Greek mythology and all these other mystic things, and, and do these incantations, and it's supposed to chase away evil spirits. Doesn't work so good this time. In fact, this spirit throws them a beaten. He throws them a beaten and leaves them naked and wounded. They are cast out, naked and wounded. Now, verse 17 actually tells us that this becomes known by everyone. So think about what God just did. First of all, he, he lifted the name of Jesus. Because out of, in a true believer's mouth, the name of Jesus is powerful. But he also got rid of charlatans in this town, didn't he? Because it says in verse 17, everybody knew about it. Everybody, Greeks and Jews, everybody heard about this. So they became, they respected the name of Jesus and had no use for these charlatans anymore. So you see what God did here. He did. He, two birds with one stone, I think, is what that's called. 
So let's talk about the evil spirits. Notice that at the name of Jesus, from a believer, they take off. They're done. Even from the sweat of the brow of a true believer, they take off. They're done. But I thought it was interesting, says, when this, when this uh, evil spirit says, I know, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul. Have you ever considered that as a true believer in Christ, the demons recognize your name? That's kind of something to ponder, isn't it? The demons know your name. I'm not telling you that your name has power. It doesn't. It's the name of Jesus that has power. But the demons know you if you're a true believer. These guys, this spirit says, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul. Your name, as a true believer in Christ, your name is known by the demons. Something to ponder, something to consider. And they clearly have to respond to the name of Jesus in a believer's mouth. In a true believer like Paul, again, even the sweat of his brow chases them away. Once again, we see true believer and the syncretist or the, the, the heretic or the one that, that worships in ignorance. We just continue to see this. But there's another point here that I think I, uh, I should make. First, spiritual warfare is very real. It's not a joke. It's very real. And you better not encounter spiritual warfare in the name of the Jesus you heard from your parents or the name of the Jesus that the pastor talks about on Sunday. It better be in the name of the Jesus that's your Savior and Lord. Because otherwise, you could end up getting a beaten. You could end up naked and wounded, as these guys did. We need to know Jesus personally. These guys didn't have any kind of relationship with Jesus. They literally said, I cast you out in the name of the, of the Jesus that Paul preaches. Don't try spiritual warfare in the name of the Jesus you heard about on TV. Don't try spiritual warfare in the name of the Jesus that the pastor talks about on Sunday. It better be in the, in the name of Jesus, your Savior and Lord. Because extraordinary things happen in the extraordinary power of the true believer. That's what we see in this. And it better, you better also not tr- uh, attempt spiritual warfare in the name of the Jesus you added to everything else you already believed. We have seen again and again in Acts that we recenter our lives around Christ. That everything, our history, our future, our today, everything is recentered around Christ. So it, it, it can't be in the name of, of Jesus uh, or luck and, and, or fate or all of these other things that I believe in. No, it's got to be in the name of Jesus, your Savior and Lord. Because the line is drawn. We see again and again in the book of Acts, the line is drawn between the true believer and those who worship in ignorance, those who add Jesus to their life and don't recenter their life around him, around the ignorant, around the, the, the syncretizer. We've seen this line drawn consistently. See, I think as we read Acts, the Word of God is reading us. And it's challenging us 
to question, to make sure, to question ourselves and make sure that we're true believers. Are you a true believer in Christ? Or have you added Jesus to what you always did? You've just, now, now, now Sunday mornings are busy because you added Jesus. Are you a true believer or are you, or are you thinking in terms of the Jesus that you hear about on Sunday mornings from the pastor or heard about on the radio or heard about on TV or the one your parents know, but you don't. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about the name of Jesus in your mouth. It's about a relationship with Jesus. The line is drawn again and again and again in the book of Acts. Are you a true believer or are you not? And we've seen example of, after example of different things. We've seen those who worship in ignorance. They've heard the name of Jesus, don't know anything about it. We, we've seen those, the syncretizers, those that, that heard, heard about Jesus and just add him in to what they already had. We've seen those who don't believe in Jesus at all. And we have seen the true believer. The believer that has Jesus as Savior and Lord, a relationship with him. The sweat of the brow of that believer is more powerful than the name of Jesus in the heretic's mouth. So are you a true believer? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Because there's no more important question. It's the question that Acts continually asks us. It's the question that is continually brought before us in Acts. Are you a true believer in Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It isn't a religion. It isn't a ritual. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have one? Because you can this morning. It's a simple prayer. First, we acknowledge our sin. We say, God, I know that I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. I've done things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. He didn't die so sin could go to heaven. He died in my place so I could go to heaven. And so I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. I need add nothing to that. And I ask you to fill my life. And I might live my entire life centered on you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor, let them know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but as you look back over the last couple of weeks, it's been about your plans, not his. Will you take this moment to recenter around Christ this morning? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, for these examples that we can understand in our time. Those that just add Jesus, those that, that worship him in ignorance because they don't know, any, know him at all, and the true believer. Empower us. Do miraculous things in us and through us. We thank you, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.